welcome to Funny Stories to Tell in the Dark, a comedy storytelling podcast sharing good stories during less than good times. I'm Julie Sensulo. I started making this show back in March, in the early stages of the pandemic. It started by me asking my friends to tell me a funny story, a story that they tell over and over because it makes them laugh. And my pitch to other storytellers has been pretty consistent since the beginning. I think for most of us, at least one story comes to mind immediately. Today's story is the one that came to my mind. It's a story of mine. When I was 25 years old, I was unemployed and living in a studio apartment in St. Paul, Minnesota. I had moved to St. Paul to live in the same city as my best friend, Rachel, but she had recently moved to Milwaukee. I'd also just quit what I thought was my dream job because of the stress and burnout that comes from having no separation between yourself and your work. I felt very alone in a city that I did not know. When you're 25 and unemployed and living alone, It's very hard to see that your life will ever look any different than it does at that moment. It's easier to assume that you'll never make any money and you'll always live in a shitty, dark, carpeted box of an apartment. And worst of all, that you'll always be 25. You'll always be too old to be floundering, but way too young to know it. So I spent most of my time trying to accept this. I didn't have much else to do. I wasn't working. I didn't have a lot of friends. My daily routine consisted of waking up, maybe watching a soft two to three hours of uh, YouTube.com. Hey guys, welcome back to my channel. Then I'd walk to the corner store and buy a fresh box of cereal. I'd cry a little bit, maybe spend... 30 minutes looking at job postings, but that made me too anxious, so I'd cry a little more. And then I would round out the day with another hard four to five hours of YouTube.com before falling asleep and repeating this all again the next day. I had one window in my studio apartment. The window looked out over the alley between my building and the brick wall of the building next door. It wasn't much. But I lived on the third floor, so I could leave the blinds open all day and never worry about someone looking in, because the only thing across from me was a brick wall. One morning, I was lying in bed, fully naked, because who was going to see me? And I was thinking about getting up and starting a long day of consuming YouTube.com. I rolled over to look at my window, and suddenly I saw a man staring back at me. Then I realized that there were two men. Then I realized that there were three men. They were wearing fluorescent green vests with orange stripes, and they were staring right at me. One of them laughed, one of them waved. They were standing on a platform that was raised three stories above the alley so that it was right between my window and the brick wall across my apartment. really didn't care about being seen naked by these people, but I did feel very exposed. Because when you are 25 and unemployed and alone, 
the only solace is the fact that no one can see how much time you waste in a day. I jumped out of bed and I grabbed some clothing and I ran to the bathroom to put it on. I thought about closing the blinds, but I didn't want to lose the window. I spent 22 hours a day inside of this apartment, and I didn't want to lose the one reminder that another world existed, even if I barely ever spent time in that world. So instead, I watched in horror for the next few weeks as a construction crew installed windows in the brick wall across from me. One day, desks appeared in the windows, then computer monitors, and finally, people. I was now staring directly into the office of the business next door. I felt a sudden urge to do something about this, which was a nice surprise because I hadn't felt like doing anything except for watching YouTube.com for months. These windows felt like an injustice, and I was going to fight it all the way to the top, the tippy, tippy top. I called the business who owned the brick wall, and I got redirected through their web of automated messages. Like, press one if you want to speak to someone who won't help you, or press two if you'd like to speak with someone who won't help you even more. This is annoying on any day, but can you imagine experiencing a stark injustice like a window going across from your apartment building and then having to wait through an automated message? Has anyone ever known such suffering? I eventually got to the operations manager of the business. He said he would talk to someone and call me back. In my head, I said, you better call me back. Out loud, I said, okay, thank you. The operations manager did not call me back, despite me calling a few days later. I assumed this meant he personally had it out for me, and I decided to try a different route. I called the front desk of the business, and the front desk directed me to a person who was overseeing the construction project. A woman who would become my nemesis. A woman whose name sends shivers down my spine. A woman named Susan Jensen. Do you feel that shiver? Well, actually you probably don't because it's not her real name but I'm going to call her Susan Jensen. Not just to protect her, but to protect you. The front desk connected me with Susan's voicemail. I left what I'm sure was a polite, not rambling message, asking to simply talk about the windows she was installing. Maybe we could come to an agreement. I left my phone number and let her know that I would be waiting for her call. The call never came. I called again and again and one or two more times a day for a week. She never answered. 
I found her email online and I sent her links to marbled window coverings from Menards that she could put up over the windows so that we could all have privacy. I suggested a schedule in which I would lower my blinds for a few hours a day and then they would lower their blinds for a few hours a day. I thought I was being reasonable. Eventually, I decided I needed to recruit more people to my cause. I wrote a note to all of my neighbors in my apartment building with Susan's phone number and email, and I encouraged them to contact her. I slipped them under the doors of the people who lived on my floor. I told myself I was a tenant organizer. I was rallying people around a noble cause. One of my neighbors put a sign in her window that said, if you can read this, you're too fucking close. Did I suggest that? No, absolutely not. Did I think it was funny? I mean, it is funny. Susan didn't call any of us back. Since she wouldn't listen to the masses, I decided to bring in the authorities. I called the District Council of Downtown St. Paul and asked them if the business had done a community impact study before construction began. I was certain that the city wouldn't have granted a construction permit if they had known what a severe, life-altering impact this would have on the residents who live nearby. The person at the district council said he would look into it, but he was pretty sure there was nothing he could do. He did tell me they were hiring a community organizer, though, and he encouraged me to apply. But I didn't have time for a job. Getting Susan Jensen to call me back had become my full-time job. I started going to a therapist around this time, mostly to help manage the constant anxiety and loneliness that I was feeling. I told her about my campaign to get the windows blocked off, and she said it was good that I had an activity. So there, it was condoned probably because I left a few details out. Like, I probably didn't tell my therapist about the time that I called Susan and left a message saying that I could see what the employees in the office were doing. I couldn't really see that far, but it felt like a good tactic. As soon as I left the message, the employee sitting closest to the window turned around and lowered the blinds a couple of inches. It struck me. That must be Susan. There she was, in my line of sight, all this time. I called back, and I left another message saying that I had seen her lower the blinds, passive-aggressively, if I do say so, and I told her that I believed in being a better neighbor than that. She still didn't call back. The next step seemed obvious to me. I walked out of my apartment building, across the street, and through the construction site of the business. I'm sure you're imagining a movie right now where the hero finally decides that they're going to take what's theirs and there's like music playing like and they run up the steps of, I don't know, like a museum, let's just say in Philadelphia, and they raise their fists above their head and you're like, wow, they're really going to do it. Yeah, this wasn't like that at all. I was wearing leggings and a big t-shirt, and I'm not sure when the last time I had washed my hair was. Some of the construction workers yelled at me and told me to stop, but I was on a mission. 
I walked past them into the building. I walked towards the offices that I could see into. I planned to go straight to Susan's desk and demand to speak with her. But that's not what happened. A security guard stopped me. I'd heard stories about some woman who lived across from us who was upset because we now had a third floor and people could basically see into her, her apartment. This is Mahmoud Hakima. He was the guard who stopped me. And I'll explain how I ended up hearing his side of the story in just a moment. And one day, a guard at the desk called me and said that uh, that woman was there. And she suggested that I go down and talk to her. Saying, okay, I have no idea what I'm going to say or do, but I went down and, yeah, there, there you were. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I remember telling the guard that I needed to speak to Susan Jensen immediately. He told me that wouldn't be possible, but asked me what my concerns were. I told him that the windows were taking away the privacy of everyone who lived next door. We all lived in studio apartments that we paid $500 a month for, and without any warning, the organization had basically made our windows useless. And they weren't listening to us. They weren't compromising. They had all of the power in the situation. We had none. It was the first time I was able to articulate this idea. The idea that I wasn't angry at the business. I was angry that I had no power. And I didn't try to, to, to debate with you. You know, I said, okay, you know, I understand that you're, you're upset. And I also understand you're upset because no one is really responding to you. So I'm sorry about that. The guard was kind and patient. His calmness disarmed me. And I believe I told you that I would at least talk with the, the higher ups to say, you know, get some communication and acknowledgement that this is a difficult thing for you to experience. The security guard had done nothing to solve the problem, but he had acknowledged it. Nothing had changed, but at least someone had listened. They emailed me. Did uh, you know that? No, I didn't. Okay. No, no. They did email me after that. It wasn't like a helpful email, but it really was like someone acknowledged it. Mm -hmm. And I think after that, it felt done. Susan wrote, and I'm quoting from the email, I understand that it can be frustrating that the circumstances have changed since you moved into your apartment. We have been going through a lot of changes here too. Unfortunately, in an urban area, you are often very close to your neighbors. It is really up to each of us to make the decision to close our blinds when we need privacy. Best, Susan Jensen. I read the email on my phone. My first instinct was to respond and tell her that it wasn't really a decision we both got to make, and she didn't really understand the changes that I had been through, but I didn't. I put my phone in my pocket, and I walked into a coffee shop that I was standing in front of, and I applied for a job. A few months after that, I moved out. Did you think after that, like, we would ever see each other again? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. <laughs> but I did see Mahmoud again, which explains how we recorded this conversation a year ago, pre-pandemic, under a blanket in my bedroom. Is this comfortable? Is this so weird? Yeah, a little bit. The circumstances of us meeting again have almost nothing to do with the window or my apartment building. But in a way, they have everything to do with it. 
here's the story of how Mockwind and I met the second time. There was one other thing I did that year beside sit alone in my apartment and talk myself in circles. There was one thing I did because I was so sad and lonely that I felt like I had nothing else to lose. I took an improv class. People tend to have very strong feelings one way or the other about improv, but improv and comedy and weird performance and storytelling have become the best part of my adult life. Not only did improv give me a reason to leave my apartment when I didn't have one, but it also gave me an outlet to fail and be creative and learn. It gave me space to make up stories that weren't all about me and my loneliness. It gave me friends. One night, I went to a weekly improv jam. The point of a jam is that you get placed on a team with a bunch of strangers, and you hang out for a few minutes, and then you go do improv on stage together. I was making small talk with my group when one of the group members mentioned that he worked in downtown St. Paul. Without thinking much about it, I said, oh, cool, I used to live in downtown. And I was thinking to myself, this this woman looks very familiar. Where have I seen her before? I don't know where it is. And then someone asked, oh, where did you live? And you're like, oh, I I live like right behind. And you said the organization where I work. I was like, wait a second, it's all clicking. I was standing in a group with the security guard. I was about to do one of the weirdest, most vulnerable things with someone who represented one of the worst times in my life. The best possible outcome of this situation that I could see was that I was probably just going to die. Were you embarrassed or were you uncomfortable? I was just a, a little uncomfortable with it because I knew that you were uncomfortable with it. But Mahmoud and our group and I went on stage and we performed together. I think what's amazing about that, though, is we went on stage and we were in two scenes and those were just dynamite scenes. Just awesome to perform with you in those scenes. And I think that part of it was because of just that journey that we had taken together. It's great that Mahmoud remembers that. I remember feeling so embarrassed that I left as soon as I could when the jam was done. And I just hoped that he wouldn't say anything to Susan or any of his other co-workers. So the very next day after that, we had that uh, improv jam. I went and I I just basically said, hey, so funny thing. Uh, I was in an improv jam last night and met the same woman. And we had great scenes on stage together. What did your co-workers say? They were actually very, very impressed. They were glad that you are a much happier place. I like wrote this story down. It started off of me thinking like, this is about why I hate the organization you work at. But then like in writing the story, it's more representative to me of like just what that time was. Like I was very angry at a lot of things. Yeah. The organization where you work ended up being the thing I could target my anger at. Mahmoud and I continued to run into one another at improv jams, and eventually we started performing together more regularly. When I used to tell this story to people, I would usually end it by saying, and then I met Mahmoud and it was really embarrassing and I regret everything. But one night after a show together, Mahmoud and I were at a bar with some friends, and I told the story of how we met. I ended it this usual way by saying how embarrassing it was. And Mahmoud said, 
that's not the ending of the story. The ending of the story is that we did those scenes and now we are friends and we make art together. That just felt like such a beautiful ending of the story for me. Right. Because it, um, I mean, every story starts somewhere and yeah, you never know. every story ends. (laughs) Well, hopefully this will not end. This will not end. (laughs) So now when I tell the story, that's where I end it too. Thank you for listening to Funny Stories to Tell in the Dark. I'm sitting in my closet recording this and feeling super vulnerable right now. So I'm going to go do a lot of deep breathing exercises and watch TV and melt my brain out for a while. I'll be back soon with a story from someone else who is not me, I promise. Will it be a story from you? You can message me at Funny Stories in the Dark on Instagram, and maybe it will be. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>